Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Okay, um, I want to start off today by pointing out a tendency that we have, and it's one of these things that you might not be aware of, but I I think we we do this more than we realize. Um, It's actually a spiritually destructive tendency all over the body of Christ. And it it has to do with that word fear, Um, but it is when we read a story in the Bible. Okay, we read one of the great stories. We read a passage of Scripture, and we're very quick to connect with the situation that's being described, the circumstances that are laid out before us. We just connect with it, but we we actually don't identify with the solution. Um, It it happens when we read about the obstacles in, in, in a situation, the trouble, the calamity, the pain, the lack in a situation, and we say, man, I can identify with that. Oh, I can identify with what David's feeling here. Oh, you know, I've been devastated like this. Oh, I've, I've been wounded like this. I've been empty like this. But we connect with, with something like that. But then we fail to connect with the promises of God's Word. We fail to connect with the provision in the passage. We, we actually miss the victory that is right before us. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're, we're really missing out on our great promise, our great deliverance, our great victory. And I tell you one way this happens. I mean, this has happened to me too many times when I've read Scripture, but we, we read about one of the great heroes, okay? So maybe we're reading along about the life of Moses or David's great moment or Elijah or Paul. We read about these Bible heroes in our mind, and we think to ourselves, man, that's so great, but you know what? That could never be me. I, I could never live this epically for God. I could never step up into a situation and just represent God and be used by the Holy Spirit like that. I, I'm just not qualified. See, fear gets us, you know? And, and, and then the excuses start pouring out of our mouths. You know, I'm just, I, I'm just not smart enough for God to use me. You know, I, I, I'm not talented enough to be filled and poured out like that. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not holy enough for God to use me like that. As if, as if the movement of God's Spirit, the power and the presence of God on display, you know, God doing something great, as if that were ever dependent on someone's ability, on a human being's righteousness. And see, what, what we do so often is we just forget the song that some of us grew up singing in the church. You know, it has always been about how great thou art. It's never been about how great I art or, or you art, you know. So we've we got to throw that art. We've got to get rid of that art altogether. And so today what I want to ask you to do is join me for an epic story. Okay, an epic story in Judges 6 through 8. You have heard this story before, but it's just amazing. It is a story about an utterly impossible situation. And when I say utterly impossible, I mean it doesn't matter what front you look on, something's missing here, okay? Manpower, resources, it is not there. And and then a man who was utterly unqualified to deal with the situation. This guy literally, at the beginning of the story, he brings nothing to the table. But still, God shows up. And he does something so amazing and so impossible through this guy that we are still talking about it hundreds, thousands of years later. So you want to hear the story? 
Good, because I want to tell it to you. Here we go. Judges 6, 1 through 6. Here's the setup. Very important setup. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded them. They camped on the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, cattle, or donkeys. They came with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the enemy or their camels. They ravaged the land. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it really should. Because what I just read is that same old, same old thumping tire of the Old Testament, okay? The thumping tire of the Old Testament is... We start off with God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's power, God's deliverance. So we start with that, and that is pretty quickly followed by the people's rebellion, the people's disobedience. And so so it happens here once again in the book of Judges. God moves in power greatly for his people. His people rebel, and so God brings on corrective punishment. Now, sometimes God gets a really bad rap for bringing punishment into people's lives. But hey, you know what? If you are a loving parent and you have a wayward child for that child's good, you bring in corrective discipline. You bring in punishment. It is for the good of the child. And so here God does that. We start off with God's goodness. We We end up with very disobedient children. And so the Lord here gives his people over to the consequences of their sin. And so often that sounds so benign to us. Well, you know, they kind of pay for their sin. But when you look at what happens here, it is serious. It's severe. I mean, suddenly the door is open to Israel's enemy, and they come in like a swarm of locusts. Now, I know we don't live in the Corn Belt. You know, we're not in Iowa. You know, we're not out in Kansas. Great big farmland. But if you know anything about locusts, locusts come in, and it's not one or two locusts, you know. It's always a horde. It's always a swarm. They're everywhere. And if there's one thing we all know about locusts, they devastate. They ravage. Locusts leave nothing. They destroy everything. And that's exactly what happens in the life of Israel. And it just goes to show you, you know, we talk about the wages of sin is death. Well, here's what death looks like. Here's what death looks like to the people of God. These guys are ravaged. And it's so bad that they are hiding out in mountain caves. You know, little clefts of the rock, the people of God are hiding everywhere. In other words, rejecting God has cost the people of God everything that matters. Everything that is life is gone. Serious. Has a wonderful effect. Pain has a way of waking us up. And here it wakes up the people of God. And what we see in the next moment is repentance. Suddenly, the people are repentant. They are turning back to God. You know, the, the, the other great sin of the Old Testament, you know what it is? It's amnesia. 
forgetting God, right? So, boy, this pain comes and suddenly the people remember their God. And one thing they do as they remember him is they cry out to God. It is a desperate cry and petition to God, help in this impossible situation. And the good news is, the great news is, God immediately hears his people. And God responds immediately to their cry for help. Their undeserving cry for help. God does two things. First thing, he sends a prophet to them. And the prophet shows up, and the prophet tells the people, making sure everybody understands exactly why they are where they are. This has happened to you because of your response to the Lord, because you have walked away from him. The prophet makes it clear. And then God does something unique, um, something unexpected. He sends an angel. But he doesn't send an angel to the entire nation of Israel. He sends the angel to just one man. One man gets an angelic visitation, and here's the problem. The man is not the kind of uh, of person anybody expects. This man is is not the guy anybody would have chosen. He, he, He is not the kind of guy anybody would have wanted God to send an angelic visitation to. This guy's name is Gideon, and Gideon is not a religious leader. Gideon is not a political force. Gideon is not a hero of any kind. Gideon is just a farmer. And he's a farmer who's hiding out like everybody else. This is who God sends the angel to. This guy? And so the angel comes in and finds Gideon in hiding, threshing wheat, hiding out in a giant vat. And the angel finds him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And you can imagine Gideon's reaction. It's the reaction of probably everybody else who knew Gideon had they known this was going on right there in the moment. Gideon understands the angel's words, but he, he, he does not understand the meaning of this. He is confused. He is shocked. This doesn't compute. And so Gideon has to ask a question back to the angel. It's a very good question in the moment. Pardon me, my Lord, but if God is with us, as you say then why in the world has all of this devastation happened to the people of God? We've been ravaged. We've been torn up like a field by by locusts. Why has this happened to us? If, If anything, as I look around, it looks like the Lord has abandoned us. It looks like he's given us over to the hand of our enemies. And so the angel hears this back from Gideon, and the angel pulls to Jesus. He pulls the Jesus out of the Gospels. Have you ever noticed there are times in the Gospels where someone will ask a question to Jesus or come at Jesus with something, and Jesus will completely change the subject? Jesus will not answer the question. You asked one thing, well, here's a question back for you. The angel does not really respond at all to Gideon's question. He doesn't answer it. But instead, he gives Gideon a command. Verse 14, the angel said, Go in the strength you have... And save Israel. Am I not sending you? Again, the angel's words are very clear. This, this command, there's no question about the content of this command. But Gideon is even more confused than ever. And so his response back is, How in the world can I save Israel? My clan? Well, if you don't know what a clan is. My tribe? If you don't know what a tribe is. My family? Is, is the weakest family in all of Israel. And when it comes to my family, I am the smallest, 
the weakest. I am the least in my family. So Gideon's saying back, look, I'm not a wari warrior. I'm not some kind of great hero. I'm just a farmer. I'm not a God who can save anyone. If you want to break it down even further, what is Gideon saying to the angel? He's saying, look, man, you got the wrong Gideon. I'm sorry. Wrong address, right first name, but I don't know who you're looking for. It is not me. I am not what you say. And then the angel brings the cookies and puts them right down on the lower shelf for Gideon, okay? He bottom lines it. He says the one thing that really matters in this situation, the one thing that Gideon has got to hear, and the one thing is this, verse 16, the Lord will be with you, and you will strike down your enemies. And so now Gideon is left in a very awkward position for a moment. Gideon's got to make a choice. And the choice is, Gideon, what do you believe in this moment? Do you believe your circumstances? Or do you believe the word of the Lord? Do you believe what you see with your own eyes? Or will your heart believe what God has just said to you? And see, it's a very real dilemma for Gideon. Because Gideon can go on believing one thing. You know, he can believe, yes, God has abandoned Israel. He can go on believing that. Gideon can go on believing that Israel is trapped in the hand of their enemies, probably for forever. Gideon can believe that he is a nobody, that he comes from nobody. Gideon can believe that he cannot possibly save anyone let alone an entire nation. There's that word again that we started this thing off with, fear. Gideon can live his life with a fearful storyline. You know what? This is, this is who I am. This is where I come from. This is what I see. You know, the same old storyline of his old life, which is a storyline of fear. He can believe all that. Or he can let perfect love cancel out that storyline and let God write a new story through him. The new story, he can believe that God has given him a new name. And the new name is not farmer. The new name is mighty warrior. He can choose to believe that in this moment. Gideon can believe that God is offering him supernatural strength for this situation. And, And granted, he's never had this kind of strength before. This is really, really, really new. This is a big leap of faith. But he can believe that. This is what God has said. Gideon can believe that it is God's plan to save Israel through him. The least, the weakest, the smallest. Gideon can believe, choose to believe, that God is truly with him in a way that he has never been with him before. And Gideon can also believe that victory is guaranteed. Wow, you talk about a fork in the road that's going in two completely different directions here. Oh my goodness. But see, the thing is, this is a pivotal moment in Gideon's life. It's also a pivotal moment in the life of Israel because it's either, depending on what he chooses, it's a whole lot more ravaging, pillaging, destruction, hiding out, and starving. It's either a whole lot more of that for Israel and for Gideon, or it's prison doors being thrown wide open, a whole lot of captives being set free. It all hangs on one man's decision. And listen, you know, I am Presbyterian. I do believe in sovereignty. Would Israel eventually have been set free? Yeah, sure, absolutely. That's how good God is. But in this moment, it's one way or the other. It hangs on his decision. 
his response to the Word of God. And we know how the story goes. Thankfully, Gideon chooses the right door, right? He chooses the right pathway. He chooses to believe God. But here's the thing. For the moment, that doesn't make anything better. Has anyone ever had that experience? The Lord speaks to you about something, and you know what you need to do, and you say yes, and and, and everything doesn't just get fixed in five minutes. For a little while longer, it's like, Lord, I said yes to you, and the wheels are coming off the car now. I said yes to you, and there's less money than there was yesterday. God, I said yes, and everything's falling apart. That's exactly what happens here for Gideon. He says yes, and the tension only increases. Matters only get worse. Because as soon as Gideon says his yes, Lord, to you, I'll step into my destiny, the enemy makes an alliance with other nations, okay? All the other ites of the Old Testament, you know, Amalekites, the Midianites, other eastern peoples, they go ahead, they make an alliance, and it's not just one army that comes against Israel. It is a massive multinational army made up of several nations of soldiers. Suddenly, we don't have the exact number, but all of a sudden there are over 100,000 soldiers and they're camped now on Israel's doorstep. I said yes to you, God, and this is what forms on the border of Israel. It seems to get worse. Well, that's just step one of worse because here comes even worser, right? More worse, however you say it. Then Gideon gets his ram's horn He blows it, sounds the ram's horn to call together the army of God, and suddenly Israel's soldiers come, and only 32,000 soldiers answer the call. So you're talking about 32,000 soldiers on the side of God, God's people, and over 100,000 soldiers. And so so here is Gideon suddenly looking at who answered the call. And listen, I I, I don't think Gideon, you know, was was one of these holier-than-thou, you know, everything's hallelujah and lollipops and puppies and rainbows. And I I think Gideon's wringing his hands. I I, I think Gideon is scratching his head. I, I, I think Gideon is probably very nervous at this point. But then thank God the Lord speaks to him. Thank God. Yes, Lord. Yes, as I'm looking over this pitiful army, you speak. But the problem is, this is not what Gideon wants to hear from God. God says something that that, that it's the last thing poor Gideon wants to hear. God speaks to him in Judges 7, 2. Gideon, guess what? You have too many men. Too many men. If you defeat the Midianites, my people will believe that it was their strength that saved them. And listen, let me just stop here. We all know the nature of men. We would never do this. You know, we wouldn't brag about, you know, how we took down 10 guys, you know, none of that stuff. But, you know, they will believe it was their strength that saved them and not mine. So tell everyone who is afraid to go home, and Gideon does this. Goes out to the army. If you're too afraid to fight, go home. 22,000 men walk away. That's why I said I think this is a, a different level of worse So here is Gideon now looking at his 10,000, 10,000, a tenth. I've got a tenth of what the enemy has. I mean, this time he's got to be distraught. He's probably hearing people whispering. You know, have, have you seen who's over the hill? Look at what Gideon's working with. I mean, all this stuff is coming at him. And suddenly God speaks again. And this time it's even worse. Verses 4 through 7, God said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin your army out there. Separate those 
who lap the water with their tongues like a dog, cupped hands, from those who kneel down to drink. And Gideon does this. The problem now, though, is that 9,700 men out of 10,000 fail the test. God says, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. And folks, I'll tell you, at this point, it is hopeless, okay? This is a hopeless situation. Either God himself moves through the enemy camp like a hurricane, or this army's going to get knocked out in about two minutes. I mean, it's just going to be like Noah and I playing with a little, little plastic green army men. Just knock them over. It's going to be that quick. And, of course, you know the end of the story. And if you don't know the end of the story, go back and read Judges 6 through 8 on your own. Prepare to be amazed, but I'll give you the cliff notes. Here's how it ends. The finale is that before the battle even starts, God goes to work. God launches an attack on the enemy, and it is a brilliant one. God gives the enemy army nightmares. Nightmares of being destroyed by Gideon and his army, and the enemy, hundreds of thousands, incredibly fortified, armed to the teeth. These guys were bred for war, right? These guys are terrified. These guys are shaken in their boots. They are so terrified by these nightmares. And God has Gideon go over and sneak to the edge of the camp and just listen. And Gideon hears them talking about what they fear. We're going to be wiped out. I've got these dreams. I can't shake these dreams. The images are so real. I see us cut down. I see us just scattered all. Gideon hears it. And suddenly Gideon, man, he is filled with hope. He is filled with courage. And so Gideon divides his 300 men into three camps, and he gives them the weapons of their warfare, which are quite interesting, by the way. Uh, a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. He tells his men to surround the army camp, and God once again does it at night. At midnight, with the enemy surrounded, Gideon gives the signal, and his army they blow their trumpets, they smash their jars, they hold up their torches, and they give the battle cry, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And the enemy, right in the middle of a, probably a pretty terrifying nightmare, wakes up to a nightmare, and the enemy awakes up in fear and confusion. And they grab their weapons and they attack. All 100,000 soldiers attack. In the darkness, they attack each other. They strike each other down. They slaughter one another. The enemy does the job <laughs> for the army of Israel. And Gideon does not lose one soldier. It's an incredible story. I mean, look at our God and what he does. And the point of the story is it is impossible. The whole thing is impossible if it were not for God. Only God can do what we just read about. But here's the big thing. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Only God can do this, but God chose not to do it alone. Let that sink in. God chose not to do it alone. Gideon had an important role to play. Gideon is vital to the story. Without Gideon saying yes to God in this situation, in this moment, God's people would not have been set free right here in Scripture. It would not have happened. 
I want you to know that we are just like Gideon today. God could defeat every enemy on the outside of these walls, every spiritual enemy. God could do it just like that. Does anybody doubt that? I mean, this is nothing, nothing for God, right? God could rescue every lost person in Hampton Roads all the way down to Wilmington, North Carolina, which my parents are here and they're from there today. Shameless plug. All over the world, we were just in Ghana. You guys were just in the Bahamas. God could do this all by himself. But God has chosen to include us. God has chosen to include the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has invited us. He has called us into a great mission. And the mission is the Great Commission. Matthew 28. He tells us, share the good news. Be the salvation. Be be the light of the world. Jesus says to us, the harvest is ripe. And you guys are the harvesters. It's ready. It's ripe for you. It's waiting for you. Go out there and bring it in. Jesus changes our names. We come into the church with all kind of raggedy names, don't we? You know, lost, lonely, afraid, addicted. You know, probably, I think every one of those were part of my name before I came to the church. We, we, we come in here all kind of nasty ways. Horrible labels on us. God has changed every one of those names. He calls us His children. He calls us His church. He calls us His disciples. He calls us His spiritual army. He calls us mighty warriors. That is who we are. That is the church of Jesus Christ given this incredible mission. But so often, you and I feel like the Judges 6.13 and the Judges 15 Gideon. I'm unqualified, God. Have you ever said that to yourself? You don't have to raise your hand because I know some of you have, like all of you. We do this from time to time. God, I'm unqualified. We start off with that and then come the excuses like Gideon. How can I go, Lord? You know, I'm Steve Keller from Nobody, Wilmington, North Carolina. Where is Wilmington? You know, my family is not of of, of great repute. No offense, Mom and Dad, you're here today. But, you know, we do this kind of stuff. We just start throwing out the excuses. I don't know enough Bible. I I haven't had enough courses on apologetics. You know, I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great teacher. I haven't been to seminary. You know, I, I haven't been filled to overflowing like a Todd White or a Bill Johnson. I'm not that kind of leader. God, it's just impossible. We do this stuff as the body of Christ. And you know what? We would be right except for God's decision to include us. See, God's changed that. That thing is turned around. That storyline is busted. It's a storyline we were never called to live out. Folks, we have been commanded by the Lord of heaven to go. Our names are changed. Our identity is different. We are promised victory. We already know how this thing ends, right? And if that weren't enough, not only have we been given the salvation of Jesus Christ, we have been given the sweet gift of the Holy Spirit to just energize us, to make us joyful. And listen, I know this will be hard for some of us to hear, but, you know, the Holy Spirit is after your dignity, too. I'll tell you that, by the way. Religious dignity is overrated. That's part of what God does in worship when we come together. God's going after that stuff because He wants us to go, man, full, filled up, charged up. This morning, I want you to take heart, okay? Take heart that as we go, we are just like Gideon in Judges 6 through 8. God has promised to strengthen us. God has promised to be with us. And just like Gideon, we don't even have to worry about the outcome of the mission. You know? I mean, look at the story of Gideon. How much did the guy really do? 
Some simple obedience steps. I agree, some radical risks he did, but looks like God did most of the heavy lifting in Judges 6 through 8. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Guys, in the same way, it's God's job. It's God's job to open hearts. It, it is God's job to save people. It's our job to be faithful. It's our job to go out there just charged with the love and the power of God. So here's what I want to do to encourage you, okay? Um, it says in the book of Revelation that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and there's something else. What's that something else? The word of our testimony. So here's what I'm going to do. I've reserved the end of my message for a couple of people from the Ghana team to share with you. And my prayer is that as they share, they give their testimony, something's going to activate in you this morning. A light switch is going to go off. The only reason the Bahamas people aren't up here is because they just got off the plane 15 hours ago. So they're in rest mode, and I don't know their stories yet. But I'm going to have a couple of them share up, uh, come, and they're going to share a little bit of their Gideon story, okay? These were folks just like you, okay? Um, uh, they, they, uh, despite having a world full of reasons not to go to Ghana... Like, uh, I don't speak the language. Uh, uh, Ghana's full of Muslims and idol worshipers. Uh, God have not been trained as a seasoned missionary. They simply heard a clear call from God to go. And so, together with me, they uh, got on a plane, flew to Africa. They loved in Jesus' name, and they proclaimed in Jesus' name. They just said, here am I, Lord, send me. And God used each of them in tremendous ways, just like we've heard about this morning. So, without further ado, I'm going to invite my good friend, the lovely Morgan Jones, otherwise known to me as La Morgancita, up. And she's going to share for a minute. Neil, can we have that microphone? It, she's just going to give you a brief, a brief testimony of just how God showed up. So, Morgan, if you would, dear. Welcome to the stage. Where's your Ghana shirt? I, I left it at home. I know. Uh -huh. I forgot my Ghana shirt. I'm sorry. I have on my Ghana shirt that they gave us. Teresa has hers on too. Um, so I really didn't know what Steve was going to preach on today, but it's exactly what I'm going to talk about too. So God's good. Um, in my life, I have said the following sentences. Uh, I have no desire to go to Africa. I don't feel called to Africa. If God wants me to go to Africa, he's going to have to make it really clear. <laughs> and spoiler alert, I just got back from Africa, so God did something. Um, I'm nervous. I'm sorry. Um, when we first announced we were going to be partnering with Ghana, I got that feeling, that feeling in your heart, in your soul, in your stomach. It brought me to tears, and I said, uh-uh, nope, I'm going to push that away. Um, I don't want to go to Africa. And um, it just kept coming up and coming up. And finally, they announced this trip to Africa, and I felt it again really strongly. And I said, hey, Buffy, can I go to the Bahamas? <laughs> because I did not want to go. Um, she, because this is what the Lord told her to say, she said, I don't, I don't think that's the trip for you. Um, and I knew she was right. And I knew I was supposed to go to Ghana. But then I started, like Gideon, I started saying, well, well, God, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I don't have time to go to Ghana. I have responsibilities. And God said, I'll take care of it. And I said, well, I don't have the money. It's a lot of money, God. And he said, I'll take care of it. Just trust me. And then I said, well, I'm not a preacher. I don't teach. I don't lead worship. 
I don't, I'm not a nurse. I, what do I have, God? And it, he didn't say it in so many words, but like he said to Gideon, he said, go in the strength that you have. I'll be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this guy called me and said, Morgan, you got to go. So I, so I did. Um, and so I went to Ghana, and I was scared. I was still scared even after I said yes. I had people all over this room praying for me because I was so scared. Um, but the Lord just took my fear and melted it away. And um, we just went and we loved on people. We prayed for people. Colleen just ran to these people and prayed so hard for them. And I was so encouraged by her. I ran after her. And um, Teresa just taught the, the youth um, so much good spiritual truth. Steve played with every single kid in Ghana, Steve Gray. Prayed for, played with every kid in Ghana because that's his heart. And it was beautiful. And we just made friendships. And we prayed for anybody we could find. And, um, you know, we didn't really worry about, we didn't have to fight the battle. God did it. And we were just there to love people. And um, real quick, I just, God put it on my heart to take pictures of the kids in, that live in the hostel um, so they're not ready yet, but we have pictures of about 30 kids, their names, um, and we want hopefully 30 households to step up and say, I'll take this kid and I'll cover them in prayer every day um, because these kids are living in a really dark place. They're far from their families and they're baby Christians, so we just need to embrace them in Jesus' name. Amen. Steve, come on up. And Steve Gray is going to come up, uh, the lover of children. Morgan, you didn't look at your notes one time. I was really disappointed. See how the Lord used you? Come on up, bro. Steve Gray, the lover of children. Steve the Builder, as he's known in in Ghana now. Here, take that, brother. Um, There's a few things. Uh, I'll make it real short. Uh, It's amazing uh, when I share this little testimony that you're going to think that Steve and I and Morgan didn't get together before we talked about this, but but, uh, truly we didn't. one of the things that I love the most is when teams get together, they, uh, they, really, cl- they really come together in a way that um, their hearts are tender and everything's soft, and they come together in ways that all the, all the noise and everything is out of the way, and then we get to know each other in a real way, and it becomes a deep foundational love for each other, which is really wonderful. That's one of the things I love about missions. The other thing is I'll tell you about a story uh, when we landed in uh, – Ghana, and then we, um, then we had to fly to Tamale, and when we landed in Tamale, we had to go through a little custom thing, and uh, we were standing there talking in line, and there was a lady behind me, and I just noticed her, you know, like people standing in line, so we get up, we get our baggage, and there was a one baggage turn, and uh, I see my baggage over there, so I run over there to get it, and I realized it's not mine, somebody else took it, but it looked just like mine, it had the green tape on it and everything, and I looked at the guy and said, I think that's my baggage. He goes, no, it's mine. I said, oh yeah, you're right, it is yours, you know. So then I walked by this lady again, and when I walked by her, she tapped me on the shoulder, and she says, there's something different about you. And this has happened before, and I realized that we are the light of the world. Mm. You know, that when we step out, we do nothing. God filters through us. And for some reason, she saw, she saw that. And I've had that happen before, and a lot of people have too. I'm not bragging on myself in any way. I'm just saying that we are the light of the world, and we're to put that light on the hill. And by doing that, we need to step out. And when we do that, God works through us. And another 
instance the same way we were in uh, Yindi, which is uh, the northern part. And one thing I didn't realize until I got there that uh, we weren't in like a little bit of Christian or a lot of Christian and a little bit of Islam. We were in all Islam. And I noticed it right away. I mean, it's very evident. Everywhere you look is mosque. Everywhere you look is people. They're Islamic, you know. And uh, so I, I didn't feel scared or anything. I felt kind of excited. And uh, we're in this market, and it's like a flea market, but it's their regular market. And Steve and them were in one car, and they had to go shopping to do something, so we had to park across the street. Very busy, very lots of people. So Barnabas, which is the other builder, we're leaning against the truck. I'm leaning against the back of the truck, and we're talking to each other like this. And next thing I know, I feel a little tug on my pants. And I look down, and there's these two adorable little kids is uh, uh, Muslim boys that are dressed in the garb with the hats and everything and I'm just looking at the one boy and the one boy lifts both hands up to me so I reach down and I pick him up and this kid just looks me in the eyes and I just I saw the love of Jesus right there and I'm looking around I was like okay I'm picking up this kid you know where's his dad <laughs> so I look over in the corner and there's his dad and his dad's waving like this and smiling I say thank God he's not mad <laughs> <laughs> so I walk over there and I start talking to them and then all of a sudden I'm surrounded by all these men and they look ISIS. They really do. They've got the beards, the whole garb. And I, again, I didn't feel threatened. And I just looked them all and they had this look on, you know, like, what is this guy going to say next? And one of them could speak broken English. And I said, you know, you guys look happy. And he looked at me like this. I said, you must have good wives. And then they, he translated it, and they all started laughing. And the next thing you know, we were all shaking hands, and I was giving out candy to everybody. It was really great. And um, so that was one of the other things. And one other thing, and then I'll let go. Um, you, you, always, uh, you know your pastors always pray, and you know they'll always do those things. But I want to encourage you that uh, Steve's room was kind of next to mine, and every morning... I would, I would wake up, it was early, and I would hear somebody talking, but I realized it was Pastor Steve praying. Every morning he was praying, and it touched my heart, you know, and, it, and I want to touch your heart right now because today's my birthday also. I didn't know it was your son's birthday, <laughs> which was really cool, but my wife for a long time, I've been wanting a uh, thank you. I've been, I've been wanting a prayer shawl because of uh, how it, what it represents in the, in, uh, in the Israeli world. And uh, the covering of prayer over you is just for something for me. It's something physical that I do to help the prayer. And uh, so she got me one this morning, and I think it's really appropriate um, that uh, prayer bursts. We are the light of the world. Jesus came as the light of the world. And so when we step out, we do that. And this church is on the brink of, of some amazing things, and I see it coming. I see the Lord working. I really do. It's, and, it's, and it's because of each one of us. You know, we, we each have a light, and we each have a hill. And we each need to stand on that hill because our light's going to shine through. What I'd like to do real quick is just uh, put you at a little disadvantage. Is everybody just raise their hand? Yeah. Everybody just raise your hand. And for the next week, every morning, for the first thing you do, even if you catch yourself and forget, take five minutes and stop and just pray. Because when you pray to God, you are putting God first. And you're loving him, your heart, soul, and mind at that moment is being put away right then for him. And let's see what happens this week. I guarantee you we're going to see amazing things if we all do this. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We're going to... Um we're going to end in just a second. We'll have some prayer people come up. If you need prayer today, please come up for anything. We'd love to pray with you. I'm just going to end with this. 
Um, if you've been a spectator in the Christian life, and we've all done it, so there's no shame, but if you've been a spectator on the sidelines, I just, I really want to encourage you in this Gideon moment thing, in, in this Gideon moment. You have a mission. I have a mission. It is the Great Commission, okay? We have marching orders. We have something we're supposed to be about as a church. We have a mission field. For some of us, temporarily, it'll be the Bahamas for a week, might be Ghana for a week, but we have a whole bunch of people that we work and live and play around. That's your mission field. We also have a decision as the body of Christ. And the decision is to leave the harvest to somebody else. We can do that. Or we can believe that we have been called, we have been equipped, and that God is with us to live out an adventure. And I tell you, that's the one thing that drove me from the church as a young man I was really involved in church as a kid, and the reason I walked away when I got old enough to be able to do that, sneak away from my parents and slip out of church here and there, I was bored to death. You're reading about adventure all the time, never living it. You know, you, you, you see these great epic stories, and it has nothing to do with where I was in church at the time. But then realizing, realizing that God has given me a new name. God has brought the church a destiny before the church. He's offered us something so different, so beautiful, so radical, such a great adventure. God has, and I tell you, when my parents connected with the church that was all about that, and suddenly I saw it. I saw the joy in people. I saw folks who were stepping out. I couldn't wait to be a part of that. That's the kind of home I want us to be for prodigals and strays and people who are disappointed in, in, in the church a group of people that, man, we get who we are and we are all about it. And if you listen closely to Steve, you listen closely to Morgan, the kind of stuff they talked about doing on the missions, mission field, simple. It's just simple. It's just being led by the Spirit in the moment to love the person that is on God's mind in whatever way God would use us, filled with the Spirit. It's as simple as that. So let me pray for us to end this thing. And then if you need prayer, come up. So stand up for this prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we have messages thrown at us all the time in our, our society, in our world, and there is a whole lot of force and fury being pointed at the church to get us to chill out, to take it easy, to just stay in our little corner, to not make any noise, to not do a whole lot. Father God, we have that pressure. We also have the pressure... Of, of our past, where people have told us in the past, we do not have what it takes. There is something missing. And Lord, today in Jesus' name, again, we just want to cancel out every storyline that is not the storyline of Scripture, that is not the message of your Holy Spirit, that is not the command of Jesus. God, we were made to live abundantly. We were made to move through this earth as it says in Scripture, all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to appear. Lord, we want to be those sons and daughters. So, Father God, in Jesus' name, we just want to say yes to you in whatever way we can. Yes, Lord, like Isaiah said. Yes, Lord, hear my send me. Yes, Lord, I am absolutely available. I don't know what the plan is, God, but my ears are open. Father, my hands are empty right now, but I know you will fill them in the moment. Lord, we want to be the church of Jesus Christ.
filled to overflowing and changing a community in Jesus' name. For your sake, your glory, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.